Today's sermon takes place in Mark chapter number 13. It's actually a series of sermons that are entitled The Last Steps of the Greatest Journey on Earth. And of course, the greatest journey on earth is the journey that our Lord Jesus Christ took 2,000 years ago when he came down from heaven to this earth, eventually to the old rugged cross, down into the tomb, but up in the resurrection and up further in the ascension back to heaven. This is the greatest journey on earth. And in Mark chapter numbers 11 to 16, we see some of the last steps of that great journey. And today we're in Mark chapter number 13, verses 1 to 8. Listen to what it says. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the temple on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. That's Mark chapter number 13, verses 1 to 8. And today's sermon has three points. The first is God understands. Secondly, he understands because he has undergone all of the things that we face today. And lastly, we'll think about how Jerusalem and the whole world one day, according to Mark chapter number 13, will be under fire. But we'll term it this way, grace under fire. Let's think first about how God understands. And we know that he understands all that we're facing. Every single hardship and difficulty and painful thing that you're going through today or that you've ever gone through or that you will ever go through God understands I know he understands because the Bible says he sees what you're going through listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12 this is a wonderful verse. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees you. And he sees all that you're going through. Now listen to what it says back in Psalm chapter number 16. 
Psalm chapter number 16 and verse number 8 assure us that God not only sees what we're going through, he sits with us as we go through it. Listen to this, Psalm 16 and verse 8. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. He's at my right hand. He's right there sitting with me. He's not off on a journey somewhere. He's certainly not in self-isolation. And the Lord God is certainly not socially distancing himself from anyone. He's sitting with us. He sees us in our troubles. And hopefully, all of you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart by faith in the gospel. He understands. He understands because he's undergone all of the things that we're going through. His son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has taken the same steps that you take today. He's experienced the same struggles. All of that hurt and hardship, there is a person in the universe who understands all about it. In fact, the things that he went through are so similar to the things that you're going through that the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what it says about our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. He was tempted in all points like as we are. And don't let that word tempted confuse you in that you think only of some enticement to sin or of his temptations in the wilderness. Our Lord Jesus Christ was certainly tempted in the wilderness. The devil came to him in the wilderness and tempted him to turn the stones into bread, tempted him to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, and tempted him to fall down and worship him. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And you may think that that's the extent of what our Lord Jesus Christ went through. But these temptations, they, they help us to understand the similarities between what he went through and what we go through when it comes to the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. So you might say, I've never been tempted to turn stones into bread. I've never been tempted to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. So you may think that you don't have anything in common with what the Lord Jesus Christ went through. But remember... These are symbolic, actual, real temptations, yes, but symbolic of the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, things that we go through and experience every day. But the word temptation in Hebrews chapter number 4 is more than just an enticement to sin or do evil. It's actually the Greek word pyrazo, 
which has the idea of the piercing through of something or the perforation of a thing, the, the testing of a thing to determine its durability. God uses it in Hebrews chapter number 3 and verse number 9 where he says, Your ancestors tested me and tried my patience for 40 years in the wilderness. So you just think for a moment about all the things that hurt you, the things that upset you, the things that try your patience and try to crush you. God has gone through all those sorts of things. He understands. He understands what you're going through because his son has undergone all those sorts of things. Pastor Oswald Smith, former pastor at People's Church in Toronto, once wrote a beautiful poem for his sister when her husband died in an accident. Here's how part of that poem goes. It's called, God Understands. God understands your sorrows. He sees the falling tear and whispers, I am with thee, then falter not nor fear. He understands your longing. Your deepest grief he shares. Then let him bear your burden. He understands and cares. God understands your heartache. He knows the bitter pain. Oh, trust him in the darkness. You cannot trust in vain. He understands your longing. Your deepest grief he shares. Then let him bear your burden. He understands and cares. God understands. He understands because his son has undergone all the things that you can imagine could possibly happen to hurt another human being. Now let's talk briefly about the underhanded works of humanity. Because that's what we're coming to in Mark chapter number 13 where we read a section in between Mark chapter number 11 and 16 where our Lord Jesus Christ is on the last steps of the greatest journey on earth. The Bible shows us so many unkind and inhumane ways in which the people in Jesus' day turned against him. For example, in Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 18, it says the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. And then in Mark chapter 11 and verse number 28, it says that they came and they began to question his authority. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? So they're trying to destroy him. They're trying to undermine him. In Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 13, it says that then the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to catch him in his words. And then as you continue through Mark, you know that in the 14th chapter and verse number 10, they bargained with Judas to betray him. And then in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 46... They arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And from there, things just continued quickly downhill. First trying to destroy him and discredit him. And then in a number of ways, uh, trying to go about his destruction until at the Garden of Gethsemane, they arrested him. They took him first to Annas' house. And in a series of six very ridiculous trials, they took him to Annas' house, then Caiaphas' house, then to the entire Sanhedrin council. Then you might remember they took him to Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate, where they totally rejected him and cried out for his crucifixion, nailed him to an old rugged cross, and put him into a borrowed tomb. Psalm 22 and verse number 12 describes it this way, as if wild, fierce animals had surrounded him. Listen to Psalm 22 and verse number 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and a roaring lion. And bulls have those horns, and those horns hurt. The underhanded works of humanity against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, by the time we come to Mark chapter number 13, what we hear from the Lord Jesus Christ is that Jerusalem, and indeed the whole world, is going to be under fire. But thankfully, it's going to be grace under fire. Let's talk first about the fire that's going to come on Jerusalem. You cannot reject the Lord Jesus Christ and send him away, which is what they're doing in the Gospel of Mark. In uh, a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter number 19 and verse number 14, he outlines it so well when you hear them say, we will not have this man to reign over us. Well, that flat rejection of the prince of life is going to have serious consequences. You cannot drive Jesus Christ the greatest and most magnificent person who's ever lived out of your life and not have serious consequences. If you're not on the narrow road, what does the Bible say? You are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And nowhere else in the Gospel of Mark can you see clearly the consequences of the rejection of Jesus Christ than... In what is about to happen, the fire that is going to come on Jerusalem and ultimately on the entire world. Now in Mark chapter 13 verses 1 and 2, we read it a moment ago. In verse number 1, the disciples are mesmerized by the beautiful temple of God in Jerusalem. It was still standing in that day. It was actually the second temple of God because Solomon's temple that was built in the Old Testament had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Thankfully, it had been rebuilt, but it was a much smaller scale temple. And uh, Herod now was expanding on it these past number of years in Mark chapter number 13. And the disciples are amazed by what they see. Even though it's a much smaller temple than what Solomon had built, they say, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus said, 
I see you looking at these great buildings, and they were great. Listen to what Dr. Barclay writes in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark. He quotes a famous Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, and Josephus says this, quoting, The outward face of the temple in its front lacked nothing that was likely to surprise men's minds or their eyes, for it was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight. And at the first rising of the sun, it reflected back a very fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. A magnificent temple. And Keep that in mind in John's Gospel, the second chapter in the 19th verse, when our Lord Jesus Christ says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it back up again. And remember that he spoke of the temple of his body. He compared himself to that temple. And we certainly know that the Lord Jesus Christ, he lacks nothing. And he's like looking into the sun. He is the most magnificent person in the universe. Now the temple that these disciples were looking at in Mark chapter 13 is no longer in Jerusalem. It has been destroyed and replaced by the Dome of the Rock, which is not nearly as impressive. And this Jewish historian that I mentioned a moment ago, Josephus, He tells us about the destruction of not only the temple in Jerusalem, but the entire city of Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus Christ is predicting here. He says, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And about 40 years after this was written, Josephus says a Roman general by the name of Titus came stomping into Jerusalem. He brought battering rams and ramps up to the walls of Jerusalem and eventually burned the gate with fire, burned the temple, and burned the whole city, destroying everything, just as our Lord had predicted here in Mark chapter number 13. Apparently, if you go into the city of Rome today, there's an arch commemorating Titus's victory over Jerusalem. And that arch in uh, Rome is apparently the model that was used for the arch in Paris, the Arc de Triomphe. This is a historical fact, the destruction of Jerusalem. A terrible thing as they came under fire and many were hurt and their lives destroyed. That's only one of the terrible predictions that our Lord Jesus Christ makes here is not only the nation of Israel turns from him, but ultimately the entire world drove him away and rejected him. And people continue to reject him today. And you cannot drive Jesus Christ out of your life and remain on a pleasant path. As the ancient Jews drove him out of their city, so the world has driven him away, and we can expect severe judgment in what is called a time of tribulation. Listen to Mark chapter 13 as we go on just a little bit further to verse 24. In those days after the tribulation. So here we have 
a description in Mark chapter 13, really from verses 3 all the way down to the end of the chapter in verse number 37 of what's called the coming unprecedented time of trouble, the tribulation, a time unlike the world has ever seen. And you can get a lot more information about the tribulation by looking at uh, Matthew 24 and the bulk of the uh, New Testament book of Revelation from chapter 6 all the way through to chapter number 19. It's a seven-year period of horror that will come on the earth. And Mark 13 divides it into two sections. Verses 4 to 8 and verses 9 to 22 outline two parts of the coming tribulation, the first half and the second half. first half would be three and a half years, and the second half would be three and a half years. Let me quickly highlight a few things. I'll say three things, two about the first half of the tribulation and one about the last half. The first horrible thing about the tribulation is the coming Antichrist. Listen to what it says in verse number 5. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. The Bible talks about many who will come and claim to be Christ, or claim to be the way, claim to be the truth that we should listen to and follow. And there have been many throughout the generations who have done exactly so, and many today. But Revelation teaches that there's coming one who will be called the Antichrist. And he will take place in the, in the tribulation and will certainly be unveiled in the first part of the tribulation. A world ruler empowered by Satan whom many will believe in and receive his mark. The Antichrist is one of the first features of the coming tribulation. A second one, according to Mark chapter number 13, is anarchy. Listen again. Say, for example, in verse number 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. Such things must happen. Nation rising up against nation and kingdom rising up against kingdom. This Antichrist, world ruler, will come into the tribulation offering peace, posing as a man of peace, but he will actually take peace from the earth. And it will turn into anarchy as homes and hearts are not only corrupted, but turned into chaos. And that's what happens when you drive Jesus Christ out of your life. There's nothing left but anarchy and chaos in your home, in your heart, certainly in the world when the Antichrist comes. There's the Antichrist and anarchy in the first half of the tribulation. And then in Mark chapter 13, it continues telling us about the second half of the tribulation because it says in verse number uh, 8, those are the beginning of sorrows. And then in verse number 9, we come to the second half of the tribulation and he mentions, for example, down in verse number 14, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. So here we're talking about the second half of the tribulation We're talking about the abomination of desolation, something mentioned back in Daniel, for example, in Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel looked forward to a time called, he didn't look forward to it in the sense, but he predicted a time of abomination, which many people believe is partly fulfilled 
during those 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, when an ungodly king came into Jerusalem and in that temple he actually set up an idol and then he took a pig, offered it on the altar and spread the swine's blood in desecration around the Jewish temple. Well, Jesus is saying that the abomination of desolation is yet future And it's pointing to a time in the tribulation when the Antichrist, according to uh, Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 through 16, the Antichrist will set up an image of himself and demand that the world worship him. So here we have just a few features and terrible features of the coming tribulation. We have the Antichrist and anarchy and then the abomination of desolations. And this terrible time of the coming tribulation is certainly foreshadowed in many things that happen in the world today. Because the Bible talks about tribulation being something that's ongoing. There's the future coming, capital T, tribulation of seven years. But a lot of God's people go through tremendous tribulation. And you can maybe identify even today with some of the things that will happen in the future as you think about the government taking control, as you think about people being unable to buy and sell and being given over completely unto ungodliness and God not really having any place in their life. A lot of the disease and trouble and torment of today just reminds us that there is a coming great tribulation and mark 13 tells us a lot about it now thankfully as i said this under fire that jerusalem went through many years ago and that the world will go through one day thankfully it's grace under fire there's always god's grace and listen to how mark 13 comes to a conclusion towards the conclusion in verse number 24 it says in those days after that tribulation Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. He's already taken this great journey from heaven to earth and back to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, but he's coming again. And he's going to come at the end of the tribulation and set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And all during that tribulation time, he's going to be gracious to his people. They'll be under such torment and fire, but he will be gracious to them. And he will be gracious to his church even before the tribulation starts. We believe rapturing them out of that tribulation time before it starts. And if you're under fire today, you can be sure that God's grace is in abundance Don't drive him out of your life. He understands what you're going through. He's undergone all of those same things. Invite him into your life. He can help you. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sins 2,000 years ago. He took all of your sins on his body. His blood washed them all away. 
and he forgives you for all that you've ever done. Now you must turn to him from your sins. You must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 10 says, you will be saved. I thank you so much for tuning in to this online worship service at Sheffield Baptist Church. And I want to leave you today with a gospel invitation if you have never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Why don't you consider praying right now? The prayer will never save you, but the faith in the gospel message that you have in your heart, that will save you. God is holy and loving, and I am sinful and dying. And so I turn from my sins to Christ who died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day. And I simply call on his name. I say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe you are the Savior. And I turn to you today, trusting you as my own personal Savior and turning from my sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into my heart for understanding what I've gone through and for giving me grace to handle and go through and under all of these fires that I'm experiencing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we love you in the Lord, and if we can be of any assistance to you, please reach out to us as the Lord leads. I'll leave you with this benediction. From Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.